Today's scripture is from Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me, that is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he? Who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's be to God. I was once given a poster by a friend that said, a sign of God is that you are taken where you did not plan to go. Hang on just a second. All right. A sign of God is that you are taken where you did not plan to go. Sit with that just for a moment. A sign of God is that you are taken where you did not plan to go. Does that ring true for your life? Have you had moments when you looked around and thought, well, I never thought I'd wind up here. But rather than be mad about it, all you can do is thank God for the series of twists and turns that brought you to this particular place with these people to have whatever experience it was that turned out to be a treasure in your life. You know, for me, being married to Matt is a little bit like that. As I said, Matt and I are going to celebrate our wedding anniversary this week. It's just our third anniversary, actually. And while it's the most normal thing in the world to be married for both of us, just five years ago, being single was the most normal thing in the world. We both went through most of our 20s, most of our 30s as single people. And we'd gotten really used to it. We'd reconciled ourselves to it. We'd made peace with it. We were both fine, healthy, productive, successful, single people. And then he moved to Kansas City in April of 2015, and I moved to Kansas City in July of 2015, and in April of 2016, we met each other, and 19 months later, we were standing at the altar in my parents' church exchanging our wedding vows. Still, it, it all seems miraculous to me. Now, let me be clear. I, I don't think that God somehow kept me single all those years just so I could meet Matt in 2016. I don't think God micromanages every move in our life like that. But here's what I do believe. That as soon as Matt came into my life, God helped me see how good he is and what an amazing partner he would be 
And God was right in the middle of all of our relationship from the start, helping it form and, and turn it into this beautiful and wonderful thing that it is. I consider my marriage to Matt a gift straight from God, and I try to be thankful for it every single day. A sign of God is that you are taken where you did not plan to go. I strongly suspect that Esther would have resonated with that poster given to me by my friend a long time ago. She wound up in a place that she never expected to be, and it enabled her to do something more heroic and more powerful than she could have ever dreamed. When we left the story of Esther last week, Esther had been made queen, and this big fight had erupted between Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle, and Haman, the king's top official. So mad was Haman at Mordecai, and probably so full of anti-Semitism was Haman, that he asked the king's permission to kill all the Jewish people in the whole kingdom, and the king said, okay. Now the king in this story, if you haven't figured it out yet, he is a total fool. He's the kind of guy that just agrees with whoever talked to him last, okay? Well, when Mordecai learns about the plot against the Jewish people, he goes to Esther and tells her she has to convince the king to stop the plan, to reverse his decree. And, and Esther says, I can't do it. She points out that anybody that goes to the king without being summoned could be immediately put to death. She had not been called to the king's side for more than 30 days. So she couldn't just walk in and say, hey, king, how about you don't kill my people? But Mordecai pushes her. He says, sure, it'll put her in danger to approach the king, but she'll merely be taking on the same risk that all the other Jews in the kingdom have. She ought not think that somehow because she's queen, she can be spared their fate. And then he says the most famous line in the whole book, the, moment, the line that Joe lifted up for us. He says, who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. He's saying, Esther, this may be your moment. You're in position as queen, and you can do what no one else in the whole kingdom can do. It was a crazy and unexpected series of events that got you to the king's side. We would never have anticipated, but here you are, and this is your moment. And this is a time when you can do what no one else can do. So Esther agrees. She agrees to approach the king, and she fasts for three days, and her maids fast and pray for three days, and then she summons up her courage, and she goes to the king. And as soon as she goes and the king sees her, he lowers his scepter, which is his way of saying that he accepts her presence, and she will not die. That was probably the easy part. Now she has to convince him to save her people. So the king, he offers her whatever she wants. He says, Queen Esther, what do you want? I'll give you anything, even half my kingdom. Like I said, he's kind of a flaky guy. And Esther simply says, come to a feast tomorrow and invite Haman to come along. At that banquet, Esther wines and dines them, but she only asks that they come to a second banquet the next day. And in between those two feasts, Haman who's still so filled with rage at Mordecai, decides to have Mordecai hanged. See, it wasn't enough for him to kill all the Jewish people. He needed Mordecai to die right away. So he goes and prepares a gallow for Mordecai's death. At the second banquet the next day, that's when we get to the scripture that Teresa just read for us. And the king, he had drunk plenty of wine, and he again asks Esther, what do you want, Esther? I'll give you anything, even half my kingdom. 
So she says, save my people. We've been sold. We'll be destroyed. We'll be annihilated. And the king is outraged, and he asks, who would dare do such a thing? Apparently, he forgot that he signed the decree to have all the Jewish people killed. But Esther points to Haman and says, it's him. And the king is furious, and he stomps out of the room. Esther, or Haman, stays behind to beg for his life from Queen Esther. And in doing so, he throws himself onto her couch. At that moment, the king returns and sees Haman splayed out on her couch and thinks that Haman has something else in mind for Queen Esther, and he gets even madder. And then a eunuch helpfully points out to the king that there are these beautiful gallows just right outside that Haman has prepared for Mordecai. And so the king says, hang Haman. And Haman ends up dying on the gallows built for his enemy. It's a big plot twist. And it's a sad ending for Haman, who by plotting the destruction of others brought about his own destruction. What happens to Esther's request? That's the end of the story, and we're going to consider that next week. So come back. You might remember that I said two weeks ago that the book of Esther does not mention the name of God once which means it's not an overtly or in-your-face kind of theological story. We have to do our work of interpretation and application to see the ties between the story and who we know God to be. One of the clearest moments I think that we can make that connection is, is when Mordecai, who's begging for Esther's help, suggests that she is in her position of queen for just this moment when her people need her the most. It's a reminder to us that so often the way God works in the world is through people who listen for God's voice and then do God's will. Yes, God is capable of miracles. Yes, God is capable of anything. God is God. But God actually so rarely chooses to use the miraculous. God so rarely chooses to use the supernatural or the spectacular. Instead, God does the vast majority of God's work by using us, you and me, in the exact position that we're in right now. You know, when we look at the Bible as a whole, we can see it as one long story of God choosing to save God's people. In fact, there's an old joke that goes, Jewish holidays can be summed up in this way. They tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. And that's because again and again, God's people wind up in trouble and God steps in to save them. It's true from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Sometimes God does that miraculously. Like we think of Moses leading the people through the Red Sea. Sometimes God saves us in a way that defies our explanation, like the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, sometimes God chooses to save God's people in the most ordinary of ways, by using regular people to get it done. That's what we see in the life and the actions of Esther. God was able to work through Esther because Esther loved and trusted God. God was able to use her because when the moment presented itself, she stepped forward to act. The story of Esther reminds us, reminds you and I, we who also love and trust God, that we need to be ready to be used by God to do God's work when the moment is right. Are we ever going to be in a position to save a whole bunch of people from death? Probably not. 
You never know, but probably not. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have things that we can do to further God's purposes or ways that we can assist God's will. I suspect God has plenty of those things in mind for us if we just be open and listen and act when the moment arrives. What does that look like in our life? Well, it can be something big. I know of a a pastor, it makes me think of a pastor and his wife that I know who are in St. Louis now. They have two kids that are off in college and he serves at a big fancy church in the city. They have plenty going on in their lives, but they are also foster parents. They've decided for years now that God can use them to provide a safe and a love-filled home for kids who are experiencing trauma and uncertainty. A few years ago, they adopted one of those foster kids, and that son is nine years old now. But even after saying yes to welcoming another kid into their home permanently, they're still fostering other kids, acting as a loving embrace, acting as the protection of God for the most vulnerable kids around them. We can be used by God to do God's work if we will be open and listening. And that can mean saying yes to a a big call that God has on our life for our work, like going into full-time ministry or, or being a missionary or being a teacher or being a nurse or being a social worker. So many jobs, when done with the love of God in our hearts, puts us in our own place for such a time as this kind of moments where we can do something extraordinary in the world to further God's will. But being used by God doesn't only mean moments when we commit ourselves to some big thing or to do something so risky that we might die like Esther had to do. Being a disciple of Jesus, knowing God's saving love, understanding that God's will is to love and save the whole world, that gives us the power to be used by God in a thousand small moments that come along in the course of everyday life. Who knows? You might be in the right place at the right moment to be used by God today. A cool time that 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 happened to me, a moment that I'll always remember. I was driving back from a church meeting a few years ago when I was still in Kansas. And earlier that day, I had learned that a wife of a dear colleague of mine had died of breast cancer. I was pretty sad about it because she was someone that I had known for a very long time and I loved And my heart was really breaking for her husband and for her daughter. And on the way home from my meeting, it was an all-day meeting, on the way home I was getting really hungry, so I stopped in Salina at a Taco Bell to get some food. Only the best food when I'm traveling, you know, Taco Bell. Well, as I sat there eating, I noticed that there was a young woman also in the dining room who was sitting there with her head down on the table. And she had quite obviously been crying. A little while later, she got up and she went outside to her car and stood there and then came back in and slumped down again at the table. Now, normally, I do not talk to strangers in public. I'm actually an introvert, and I don't feel the need to talk to just everybody that I see. I like to keep to myself. But something inside me nudged me to go toward her. And I had one of those conversations that you have inside your head. No, 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 she's fine. I'll just leave her alone. But no, the nudge was there again. Go see if she's okay, Amy. And then I thought about Jan, the woman who had just died, and about how she was someone who always wanted to help others. So I was feeling inspired by Jan, and I went up to the young woman, and I said, hey, are are you okay? And she said, no. It turned out that the key fob to her car had had stopped working. 
And her car was such that even if she opened it with a physical key, without the key fob working, her car would not start. And she was moving home back to her parents' house after breaking up with her boyfriend, and her car was loaded up with all of her possessions, and here she was stuck hundreds of miles from her destination at a Taco Bell in Salina, Kansas, and she was distraught. I said, well, do you think it just needs a new battery? She said, I, I hope so. So I said, I'll drive you. So I loaded this stranger up into my car and took her to Walmart. And she got the battery and she came back in and came back to the car. We went back to Taco Bell and she clicked the key fob and her car unlocked. And in two minutes, she was ready to hand down the, head down the road. It was such a simple thing for me to do, but I'll tell you, it felt pretty wonderful. Perhaps I stopped to get something to eat at Taco Bell that day for just such a time as that to help that young woman on her journey down the road. I believe that God can direct us in moments like that all the time. If we'll just keep open, if we'll just listen, if we'll just trust that we can be of use in God's world for God's will. I mean, who knows? Maybe you're here for just such a time as this. Thanks be to God. Amen.